All right, good morning. Good morning. There we go. That's a little better. All right. Welcome. Glad you were here with us for worship this day. Glad to uh, see everyone and looking forward to a good service, a good time together. If you would take your bulletins out, uh, a few announcements before we get started. On the back is our opportunities for the week. But as always, if you're a guest, please fill out the tear-off portion, put it in the offering plate as it goes by. If you have any prayer requests, put it on the other side and put it in the offering plate as well as it goes by. And on the back, we've got uh, opportunities for the week. Tonight, we've got a full slate of, of activities, uh, encounter service, RAs, GAs, choirs, mission friends, adult choir, ensemble, youth, and uh, handbells. Hand so all tonight, looking forward to that. Wanted to make mention, Monday and Thursday, you make make notice, we have flip-flopped our basketball and volleyball nights by popular request. So we're going to do basketball on Monday nights and volleyball on Thursday nights. So please come out, bring your friends. Uh, We meet 7 to 9 p.m. in the FLC, Monday's basketball from now on, and Thursday's volleyball. So looking forward to that. Wednesday, we do have chicken pot pie for our Wednesday night supper. Make sure you sign up for that. And then all of our regular Wednesday activities. Wanted to make mention, Sandra, I forgot my, uh, my notes I wrote from the last service. WMU emphasis this week. Focus on WMU starts tomorrow. And, uh, it, and then next Sunday at 11 o'clock, we will have in, the mission groups will be participating in the 11 o'clock service next Sunday. All right. So thank you for that. Looking forward to our focus on WMU. And then we've got two other announcements. Which one of you ladies want to go first? Sandra, come on up. All right. Good morning. I'm here again, once again, for Women on Mission. It is the next meeting this coming Tuesday at 1030, but a little bit different. Instead of a regular sit-down and talk about missionaries, we're going to meet in the kitchen with our favorite goodies, whether it's cookies or some other special treat. And it's not for us, and it's not for you. We're going to share these with our sheriff's office. After we assort them into pretty platters, we're going to deliver them to the sheriff's office and let all the deputies and sheriffs enjoy them for Valentine's Day. Who could we better pick to show our love and appreciation for? And also, I want to give you one little um, other reminder about our donations to the Pregnancy Center. This morning, I finally got a nice big red bin, and it's on the back table in the John Bryant room. So remember, anything that you can offer to help these young mothers would be deeply appreciated. Thank you. Good morning. It's Operation Christmas Child time. I'm a visual person, and and you're such busy people that I want you to remember that when you make your weekly trip to Walmart or Target or Dollar Tree, you remember that February is the time to bring things for your shoeboxes for head and hair. Brushes, combs, hats, bandanas, Um, what are these? 
headbands, um, ponytail holders, barrettes, all of those fun things. We sang in, in uh, Sunday school this morning that wonderful old hymn, how wonderful it is to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And that's what we're doing with shoeboxes, by collecting every month different items and keeping your eyes open for sales. We still need more hats, gloves, scarves, and mittens. I found a wonderful deal on socks yesterday. Cute mug um, cups for only 50 cents. So keep your eyes open. Keep your hearts open for how... We can bless boys and girls, needy children around the world, and give them the opportunity to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. February, hat, hats and heads. Thank you. Psalm 86, 9 and 10. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. I'm going to change up the call to worship today. You just got to keep you on your toes. So if you want to open your hymnals to number five, we are going to do the chorus only of How Great Is Our God. Now, how many of you are kind of sort of familiar with this? Raise your hands. Oh, yeah, no worries. So if you're really familiar, you've got to sing loud for all the ones that may not know it as well. And, of course, what do you have to do now? You have to stand up and meet and greet, say good morning, say how great is our God, say I'm glad you're here on this wonderful day. As Dwight comes up and continues to lead us in worship, Lord, may our hearts truly be turned towards heaven and towards you. We love you and praise your name. Amen. You may be seated. And let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a great God. And that our heart's desire is that we know you, that we honor you, and we love you more, and that the world sees uh, the great love of our Savior. God, may we 
glorify you this hour, this day, as we come before you in worship. May our uh, hearts, may our songs, may the message, may everything go together to bring you glory. God, we pray your Holy Spirit indwell. We pray that you convict, guide, teach, and we thank you, Jesus, for your great love. In whose name we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. We are going to be turning in our hymnals to page 521, Faith is the Victory. The scripture verse says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand and sing hymn 521. Please turn with us in your hymnals to page 499 for our responsive reading. Uh, I will do the uh, light portion, and you all together read the darkened portion. Page 499. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands 
Now, his commands are not a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Today, you are about to engage in battle with your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid, alarmed, or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue singing, and we'll be singing about trusting Jesus this morning. So let's turn in our hymnals to page 515 and stand as we sing, please. Trusting Jesus.
Shall we pray? Gracious Lord, as we bow in your presence, we do so trusting you. Trusting you, Father, to do with what we give in accordance with your will. Thanking you for the gift of salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Recognizing that all things belong to you. Receive our offering. Bless it, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. The flowers in front of me this morning on the altar table are given in memory of Jim Taylor by his family. Jim passed away on the 19th of January, uh, and his uh, memorial service was held here yesterday at 2 p.m. So uh, the flowers were left here for us to enjoy at Ruth's request, and so uh, I wanted to share that with you uh, as we go to prayer. Gracious Lord, as we come before you, we recognize your sovereignty over us. 
we also recognize your great love for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Knowing, Father, that whatever comes our way, that you are there. Your abiding presence provides for us what we need. Even, Father, when we can't feel it. We are grateful, Father, that as we bow in your presence on this day, that we can come together to worship, to study your word, to be challenged, to go into the world and share the message of salvation. How grateful we are, Father, that you have given us a story to tell. A story that changes lives. Forgive us for failing to go. Forgive us, Father, for our sinful natures. Help us, Father, to confess our sins before you. We're grateful, Father, that we can pray this morning on behalf of those who are ill. Whatever the circumstances may be, Father, we know that you are at work in their lives to bring about what they need in accordance with your will. But we pray for healing. For those who have lost loved ones, how difficult is the pain? And yet, Father, we know that you can bring comfort If we only will acknowledge your presence. We're thankful, Father, for our missionaries. They go, Father, into places that we are unable or unwilling to go. And they go because first you love them. And now they love you. May they change lives. May we, Father, always keep them before you and before ourselves as we remember the sacrifices they make around the world. We pray for our church. We pray, Father, that you will instill in us a desire to go and to tell, to invite and to share. To come to terms with who you are as we seek to serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Afraid. If the world's a sea of trouble, 
that you always rise above if you know that you are safely in his love in his love where all pain and sorrow quickly fade away in his love there's a bright tomorrow just beyond the day if your heart is filled with sorrow if it's all you can think of still there'll be a new tomorrow in his love his love is never far away yet sometimes hard to the world go by in his love there's no need to hurry everything's on time when the world's a sea of trouble you can always rise above if you know that you are safely in his love We conclude our study of 1 Peter this morning, and we will take on the entirety of the last chapter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I always am a little sad to see these times end when we do these concentrated studies because uh, I find a great deal of meaning in them and learn right along with you uh, as uh, I go through this uh, and study for these each week. But beginning reading at verse 1 of chapter 5, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. 
Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. While Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon elect together with you greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all, to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Sharon came into the world with multiple birth defects. She survived and became a Christian early in life. Instead of complaining about her limitations, she found ways to serve others as she blessed people around her. God blessed her with a joy in spite of suffering. Sometimes the best solution for suffering is serving. Suffering tends to force our focus inward on ourselves. Centering our attention on our problems magnifies the trouble and makes healing more difficult. Two, when we think constantly about our pain, we forget other people around us may also be hurting. So instead of concentrating exclusively on our own personal dilemma, let's turn our energy to serving other people. As we find joy in ministering to their needs, we will find our own troubles coming into better perspective. When we participate in serving others as channels of God's grace, we experience His grace and are strengthened for our own lives. We all deal with trouble. And Peter addresses that very issue throughout 1 Peter. He wants us to understand that in order to be what God has called us to be, we must put God's grace into practice in our lives as we serve others. The Apostle Peter understood the healing dynamic of service and the strength sufferers can draw from it. As he concluded this epistle to the dispersed disciples of Asia Minor, he urged them to find strength for their suffering through service. As they cared for one another, they not only helped each other survive the persecution, they discovered God's grace ministering to them as well. Peter understood the dilemma of all people, dealing with the effects of persecution and suffering. And Peter has some advice for all of us, and his advice always begins and ends with our relationship to Jesus Christ. 
in verses 1 through 4 and then again in 12 through 14, Peter would urge us to live as a servant of God's people. Peter began his exhortation by encouraging the pastors to be servants of God's people as examples to the believers. Those pastors who were dispersed with the people throughout Asia Minor, he addressed the ministers as a fellow elder. Sometimes the term elder refers simply to someone who is older. In this instance, it is one of three words used to describe a pastor. Ministers are also shepherds and bishops or overseers. Interestingly, all three words in various forms are found in this passage, demonstrating that each term refers to the same biblical office of pastor. Peter, by identifying himself as a fellow elder, could exhort the elders as one who understood their roles in the congregations. Keep in mind, As we've already said, that 1 Peter was a circular letter meant to be read in the various churches throughout the provinces of Asia Minor. So this was a message to pastors as well as people as they were dealing with the effects and after effects of suffering and persecution at the hands of those who would destroy the church. Peter would encourage the pastors to serve as co-laborers Pastors would understand that Peter was not trying to give orders as if he had some authority over them. Instead, they heard a co-laborer, a colleague who knew the kinds of pressures they faced. Peter also wrote as one who understood suffering. His reference to being a witness to the sufferings of Christ had a double meaning. He understood the difficulties these pastors and churches were experiencing. In addition, Peter wanted them to see the travails in light of the suffering Christ and what he had experienced. He not only had observed the anguish anguish Jesus endured on the cross, Peter also saw himself as a participant of Christ's suffering. He had faced persecution, arrest and rejection because of his faith. The persecuted churches were reading the words of someone who had personal knowledge of the same kinds of problems they were undergoing. And isn't it good to get a word for someone who has experienced what you may be going through? It's always helpful to know that there are others who have been there who can help you and show you the way. And this is exactly what Peter was attempting to do with the people who were dispersed throughout Asia Minor. Peter's exhortation was not merely based on his knowledge of suffering, but on his being a participant in the glory about to be revealed. Peter not only witnessed the pain of the cross, he also saw the glory of the resurrection. He always took them to something bigger than what they were experiencing at the moment. And that's something that we could learn from. To recognize that suffering is but for a time. That persecution is but for a time. But God has a larger plan that is an eternal plan that shows us a glimpse of glory. He was coming back in power and victory. This glory was about to be revealed. The believers whose backs were bent by the weight of persecution could stand straight in anticipation of sharing Christ's glorious triumph. But he also asked them to serve with compassion. 
On the basis of his shared experience, Peter urged the pastors to shepherd God's flock. The word rendered shepherd is a verb form of the term often translated as pastor. Predators roam the Asian countryside seeking to destroy God's people. Persecuted people who had fled their homelands could easily be scattered as tyranny pursued them into their places of refuge. But Peter urged the pastors to care for the people like shepherds who protected and provided for their flocks. He wanted them to care for the people who, were, who had lost their way. Lost their way because of persecution. Not necessarily lost their understanding of their relationship to Christ, but how that relationship played out then and how it would play out in the future. He also, for lack of a better term, asked them to serve as a coach. Pastors should care for the church by serving as examples to the flock. Notice Peter used the word overseeing. This is a verb form of the word translated as bishop in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2. It does not mean that some ministers have authority over other ministers. Rather, it refers to the leadership responsibility of the pastor. Ministers should exercise leadership or oversight. Their service must not be onerous or heavy-handed as if the pastor were superior to other people. Instead, they minister out of love, out of love for God and out of love for God's people. When Paul instructed Timothy about how to be an elder or a pastor, or a shepherd, even though Timothy was very young, he told his son in the ministry to be an example of the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Peter also admonished the pastors to lead by example. While cattle can be driven, sheep respond best when led. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. His sheep knew his voice and they followed him. If we serve one another with the heart of the good shepherd, we will not force our will on the people, but will lead them out of love. We will not demand they do things we are not willing to do ourselves. Peter had instructions for those who were leading the people who were being persecuted. He was imploring them. To serve the people. And as you serve the people, the people will see the results. But he gave them a purpose for serving as well. He said, serve for the crown. The master's reward provides another motivation. Peter had already reminded the churches about Christ's return. While they did not know when the second coming would occur, they had no doubt the chief shepherd would appear. Pastors are under shepherds, serving under the authority and direction of Christ. Ministers who serve the Lord's flock with loving faithfulness can anticipate receiving the unfading crown of glory. Paul anticipated receiving a crown of righteousness that the Lord would present to him. James wrote about a crown presented to believers who overcame temptation. John recorded Jesus' promise of a crown of life to the faithful believers at the church in Smyrna. Each crown was not the kind worn by kings, but was like the recognition given to a victorious athlete or soldier. 
The crown of glory represented God's ultimate acknowledgement. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've been watching the Olympics. The Olympics will make a couch potato out of you. If you're not careful, you know. And we, the United States, won a gold medal last night in um, snowboarding. And when we looked at the snowboard, I picked, was watching it, and uh, the American athlete who's 17 years old um, was in 11th place. And all of a sudden, he had the run of his life down the slopes. And as I watched it, I said, I couldn't do that at 17, and I know I couldn't do it at 55. And if I tried at 17 or 55, they'd be picking up pieces of me all the way down the way with the things that they did. But after he had made his run, there were a couple of, uh, of snowboarders who uh, were favored over him, Canadian uh, snowboarders. And so he stood at the bottom and the camera kept coming back to him and watching his reaction as each one came down the slope after him. And when he realized he had won, there was such joy overflowing. His language had become inappropriate to the point that NBC had to apologize for his language. But what we see in that is what we see here in terms of what Peter is speaking of. He's asking the people to persevere, to do what is necessary to overcome, to do what is necessary to recognize that the crown is to come. And at the moment, it may seem as though it's not here. But Peter said, hang on. Do what is right. Serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at what Christ has done for you through the resurrection and recognize this same Christ will receive you in glory. But then he takes a turn with us. And he talks about being humble. He says, live humbly before your leaders. Pride is the enemy of a servant spirit. Proud people believe others exist to serve them, not the reverse. Even believers will not accept the role of service unless they die to self-centeredness and view other people with the humility of Christ. He goes on to say to be humble before your leaders. Peter broadened the scope to include all people. The phrase in the same way suggests the first half of verse 5 continued the application of the previous section. In that case, we would understand that Peter advised the younger pastors to be subject to the elders. But since Scripture does not support the idea of a ministerial hierarchy in the New Testament church, that interpretation cannot be Peter's intention. Some commentators believe he was not necessarily speaking to pastors or merely to the male gender, but rather simply instructing younger people to follow the leadership of the pastors. To recognize that their best interest was being held at heart by those who were leading them. But he goes on to say that you need to be humble also with your peers. 
The next sentence makes it clear that the spiritual principle applies to everyone. Peter changed his form of address to include all of you. All believers believers should clothe themselves with humility. Peter used the metaphor of wrapping themselves in humility to illustrate the necessity of serving not in pride but with modesty. Notice the various aspects of how and why Christians should wear the cloak of humility and service. Believers direct their humility toward one another. The natural attitude of the unsaved persons generally sees other people as either equal or inferior in them, to themselves. Christians pre- should prefer other believers to themselves out of respect and love. Peter said if you focus on the needs of others, your needs will seem Small in comparison. Peter had already urged them to love one another with sincere love and to be hospitable toward one another without complaining. Both admonitions are examples of how a humble spirit should be held toward other Christians. He wants us to be humble with anticipation. If we would serve one another, we must humble ourselves. We cannot resist His mighty hand. We can only submit to it. Jesus declared that the person who exalts himself will be brought low, but the humble person will be exalted. Peter echoed Jesus' promise that God would exalt the humble person at the proper time. And then, this is probably for me the jewel of the whole chapter. Be humble without anxiety. When we humble ourselves before God and one another, we can enter a position of security and rest. The very act of humbling ourselves is made possible by our casting all our cares on the Lord. Look at verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. How powerful is that verse? Rather than wrestling with the cares of life, we trust Him with our burdens. We allow God to carry our burdens, recognizing that even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the trials and tribulations and the persecutions, God cares. So give your cares to Him. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you, Psalm 55, 22 says. Peter assured the persecuted churches they could cast their care on the Lord because He cares. We can trust Him with whatever circumstances we face. If He loved us enough to send His Son to the cross for us, we cannot doubt His care for us. In His love, we can humble ourselves and submit to His mighty hand. But then He gives us a warning. Live in awareness of the adversary. Verses 8 and 9. As we serve, we should be diligent to watch out for adversaries. He didn't say if. He said they're going to be there. Peter used the Hebrew parallelism to warn believers to be wary. The first, be sober-minded, sounds much like the emphasis of first of chapter 1, verse 13, as Peter urged his readers to maintain a serious mindset because of the dangers they faced. Live in awareness. But then, he names our adversary. The devil, 
is a personal adversary. And we don't acknowledge that enough. The real adversary is the devil. The name literally means slanderer. Connected with Peter's earlier warning about persons who would falsely accuse believers, this statement placed the devil behind the human weapons attacking them. Scripture calls Satan the accuser of brothers and sisters, but it also encourages us because he will be thrown down in defeat and destruction. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. But he describes it even further, doesn't he? Peter wants us to understand that evil is in the world because of Satan. Our adversary. He says the devil is a prowling adversary. Peter also portrayed Satan like a roaring lion. His metaphor contained three aspects that illustrate the devil's methods. This lion is prowling around, moving stealthily like a crouching beast on the hunt. In the same way, Satan and his demonic minions roam about the earth, devouring who they can. The devil is a predatory adversary. Peter described the devil like a roaring lion, trying to frighten its prey with a deep-throated growl. Now listen to what he says. If many modern Christians become intimidated merely by the sound of opposition, how much more will they be alarmed by actual persecution? Yet the devil is no empty threat. He is looking for anyone he can devour. He cannot steal our salvation, but he can stampede believers into doubting their faith and seduce them into sin. Several years ago when I was on a camping trip with some boys, we were at Stanton River State Park in Halifax County and they had a skunk epidemic that year. Now a skunk epidemic and 25 boys camping is not a good combination. (laughs) A lot of skunks were sent to heaven before we got back the next year. But a skunk will paralyze whatever you're trying to do. And one morning, I got up, came up to where the kitchen was in the campground, and looked back, and a skunk had taken up residence under my folding trailer. He was there. I wouldn't go near it. Because I said, if he lets loose there... I might as well just burn the camper where it sits. I'll never get it out. And so finally, we worked our way around and he got up and moved on. But you see, I was afraid to move into the place that uh, I was staying because of the fear of what could occur, not what actually occurred. Because if the truth be known, they were quite used to people, and so it would take a lot to alarm them to set their alarm off, if you know what I mean. But that's what Peter is warning us against. He's saying he, this, that, 
the adversary, that Satan roars like a lion and paralyzes us from doing what we ought to be doing because the persecution is not occurring. It's just the threat of the persecution that paralyzes you. But if you back up a little bit in these verses, what does he say? God cares for you. Cast your cares on him. We can resist the devil. And God will confidently give us the victory. We can resist the devil. We do not have to be intimidated by the enemy. God gives us the ability to resist him. Unlike God, Satan is not omnipotent. We can resist the devil by submitting to God. Too many Christians lightly talk about rebuking the devil or binding him. Our power to resist the temptations of terror of the devil lies in our total dependence on the Lord. And that's what Peter has taught throughout this entire epistle. We can remain firm in the faith. God's Holy Spirit resides in us, empowering us not only to resist the enemy, but to help us remain firm in the faith. The best way to overcome the assaults of Satan is to remain steadfast in our faith in Christ who came to destroy the works of the devil. And then in verses 10 and 11, he tells us to live confidently in God's victory. Hurting people need hope in order to persevere. When we experience severe difficulties, we may despair if we don't think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Peter concluded his letter by encouraging the persecuted believers to serve with anticipation of God's ultimate victory. They were surrounded by painful circumstances with no end in sight. Peter wanted to leave them with the confidence that God would overcome and in Christ so could they. God will restore us. God's promise to restore them did not mean they would regain what they had lost in the same way Job received more in the end than he had lost during Satan's assault. The word has the implication of joining together in completion. God takes every aspect of our experiences, even our suffering, and brings each part together for our good and His glory. All things work together for good. By working His grace in us, God restores our wounded spirits and broken lives, making the end greater than its beginning. God will establish us. God not only would restore them, but He would establish them. Although they seemed to be cast adrift in an ocean of opposition, the day would come when the Lord would set them on firm ground. Peter looked forward to Jesus' second coming. While these Christians might remain unsettled physically, they could rest in Christ spiritually until that day. God will strengthen us. God would also strengthen and support the believers. God does not always take us out of our trials, but He always will strengthen us for any conflict. What a comfort. We can be assured that we do not face tribulation in our own strength, but in His. We do not encounter opposition alone, but with the support of God's presence. That's the key that Peter is trying to use to unlock Their despair? God will support us. 
Whatever they might encounter in a world that hated them, the believers could find security in knowing true dominion belonged to the Lord. Caesar might rule from Rome, but the Lord of hosts was still on the throne in heaven. Human kingdoms would fade, but God's reign is forever. Our citizenship is not a geopolitical nation from which we can be expelled or sent into exile. Our passports are stamped with the seal of heaven. Whatever opposition we experience in this world, we must remember it's temporary. Not only in the end, but throughout our lives, we can be encouraged that our God reigns. A day will come when we shall find rest in a place prepared for us by the very hands of Christ. Paul said so, didn't he? You're going to a place not prepared for you with human hands. Eternal in the heavens. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to encourage the persecuted church of the first century in order that every church in all eras might find hope in Christ. Some periods of Christian history have contained more pain for believers than other times, yet throughout the years... Individuals experience heartache of one kind or another. Through the pen of Peter, God offers us insight into how we can not only survive our suffering, but have victory in Christ who overcame death that we might truly, truly live. You see, the psalmist understood that probably far better than we ever will this side of eternity. And I don't know why, but he tells us very clearly in the 23rd Psalm, the last verse, doesn't he? The same thing that Peter has taken five chapters to say. You know what he said. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's the glory That Peter was speaking of. That's the hope. Of every believer. Trials will come. Tribulations will bear. But cast your cares. On God. Because he. Cares. For you. It may not feel that way all the time. And Peter acknowledges that. But he encourages us to be faithful and serve. To serve in the name of the Lord. And receive the crown. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are thankful for your servant Peter and for these words. What an encouragement to all of us as we journey through life to know that you care. And that because you care, we can serve. And we can look forward with hope to what's in store for every believer. Help us, Father, to put our trust in these words, our trust in Christ, so that we might be his obedient servants. In the name of Jesus, amen.
our hymn of invitation is Trust and Obey, hymn number 500. I would encourage anyone who has never given their life to Jesus Christ to do so. You can never understand what it means to overcome the world and the persecution of it unless you have given your life to Christ. If you would like to unite with this fellowship of believers, whatever your desires, we stand and sing hymn number 500. I'm sorry if you saw me touching my nose. Um, The flowers were bothering me. I started to move them, but I didn't. So um, 
anyway, that's why I was doing that, and I realized I was in too deep before um, I realized that the flowers were bothering me. We did have someone to join in our first service. Um, her name is uh, Lee Whitley, and she came on uh, Statement of Faith, having been baptized, and she has a four-year-old son and a husband as well, and uh, she came to uh, join our congregation today in the first service, and I said she was a product of our internet ministry. She contacted me through our website, and I, uh, the, all that comes to my phone and everything, and so I saw it within... 15 minutes, and she was impressed by that because she told him this morning, and he replied within 15 minutes. I said, I try to stay ahead of the game is what I said. So uh, anyway, but we are delighted that she joined this morning. I wanted to share that with you because you wouldn't know that had I not other than seeing it in our newsletter. So uh, thank you for being here. Again, I say I love these studies that we do uh, each year the first part of the year in January and into February, we will begin something uh, new next week as we make our journey toward Easter. It's hard to believe that Easter is not that far away, really. We're uh, second Sunday in February, the first Sunday in April is Easter Sunday. So um, anyway, let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day, we do so recognizing that you do care for us and you show it in so many ways. As we depart today, Father, keep us ever mindful that because you care for us, it is our responsibility to care for others and to share your grace with those around us. Bless us as we depart. In the name of Jesus, amen.